This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. So I stumbled onto a game a little while back. Uh, you guys know I enjoy my XCOM-like turn-based strategy thingies. This one's called Phantom Doctrine, and it's it's kind of in that same vein, except the framing is uh, sort of Cold War-era espionage, spy versus spy stuff. You guys heard of it? I have played it, yes. Oh, I see. Well, then Kevin, uh, and I'll explain for Melon's benefit and for the listeners, there is... The game does some cool things that got me thinking about how to do similar things in investigative RPGs like Delta Green, because there's obviously some thematic overlap there. I would agree. What do you like the most? Well, let me answer your question with a question. What do you think is one of the biggest stumbling blocks in an investigative tabletop RPG? Uh, Both of you. Nobody reads the rules. Nobody listens to the GM's descriptive text. Oh, those those are really good. Those are both really good. Do you want us to come back with something that this game actually... No, no, that's good. We can keep that. We can keep that. (laughs) What what were you thinking of? I was thinking of the common complaint people have with investigative, you know, clue-gathering mysteries, whereby the process of gathering clues can often be gated behind a skill check. Or a series of the same skill check. Or a series of the same. Yeah, I believe we discussed that when we touched on rolling to failure, didn't we? You would know better than I. I would. Wouldn't I? But... Um, Wouldn't didn't you? What one thing that Phantom Doctrine does is there's a mechanic by which you can gather intel on on missions, and you can use them to find enemy bases and uh, the the identities of enemy agents and fun things like that. But it's not just a matter of you gotta you know gotta find six of these. Now you got them all six, and okay, so here's the enemy agent. It generates little procedural documents that have code words and names and photos and stuff in them. And so what you have to do is you have to go and find the code words, and then find other documents that had the same code words, now you've got a link. So eventually you'll end up with this sort of daisy chain between uh, your start, whatever your start point is, like a code name or a photo or a, of a person or of, of a location or something. You daisy chain that all the way to somebody's real identity or a location or the organization you're trying to expose. Boom. There's a clue. So I was thinking, what are some ways you could take the investigative mechanics of Delta Green, which... It's usually not gated behind skill checks anymore. People are pretty good about that when they write scenarios, but it's too often in my experience a case of, do you have the skill? Okay, here's the clue. So I was thinking, how can we make the process of investigating and gathering clues more interactive? Well, what's really nice about Fandor Doctrine, and and this translates basically one-to-one the real world, is the mechanic is basically a cork board. So you get your initial document, and you it's it's full of text. You find the clues, and then you start getting... The different clues pop up on the corkboard, the other photos that have been taken, and the other in- information. What's interesting about it, I really like, is that you don't just get the three clues you need to make the connection. You get you get a bunch of superfluous crap, other agencies, other code words that don't tie to yours. Oh, yeah. So you do kind of have to sort through like that. So the way I picture this in the real world, which I think is brilliant because it will engage people at a, at a table, is you basically just, you know, the agents go in, they raid something, they get some intel. You hand them like a a stack of handouts that has the clue they need is in there. There's other stuff too, red herrings, other agencies, 
you know, because in the real world, it's not that cut and dry. And then they get to sort through that, find some things out, maybe make other roles, try to determine things or make other deductions or, you know, that kind of stuff. I really like it. Um, so, Melon, you played in when I ran Night on Alice Head Mountain a while back, right? Yes. And there was a thing that I did there for the listener's benefit. Um, I had I took a bunch of handouts of, like, newspaper clippings from the book, and I gave them to the players and let them sort of go through them and arrange them and read them and, and so on. Yeah, it's great to have handouts that are, like, not just a block of exposition, but are actually, like, part of the game world. And that's something that also um, Artifact Zero did quite well, although it turned out that that was less relevant in that context. But those are both scenarios. And I think there's other there's other old Delta Green scenarios, maybe even some new Delta Green scenarios that do that do this as well, that uh, present... And it's something that I know that old Call of Cthulhu did a lot, present the primary source document to communicate information. I'm going to I want to touch on two things here. There's a tabletop game called Mythos Tales, uh, which is really fun. You play investigators in Arkham, and you have to you're you give you're given these kind of mysteries to solve, and you go around the board, and you solve mysteries. But one of the clu- one of the main clues you have is the newspaper from that day, which has artic- all sorts of articles, all sorts of red herrings, and a few things you might need to piece things together. Um, so that's one thing I think is pretty interesting. Uh, the other thing is, and we were all playing online with Shane, Roll Twenty. He flips to the next screen, and it's a map, some push pins that we can click on, a, like twelve different agencies we can utilize in their icons, and like a court, like a little handy like sticky note. And I about got out of my chair and like, like rubbed my hands together, and I was like, "Oh man, this is exciting! I can do whatever. Like we can do whatever we want here with this awesome resource library of investigations. We like free reign. We're not just given one clue. So I think something like Phantom Doctrine or." having a bunch of handouts gives the players that same feeling of they truly get to investigate and look at what's real and what's good and what's useful and what's bad and actually have the fun time sorting through it, which to me, I mean, I love that in Delta Green. So there are a couple other things that I think I would maybe pull from Phantom Doctrine into uh, into at least the feeling of them, the mouthfeel, if you will, of these systems from Phantom Doctrine. I don't think you should be feeling video games with your mouth. Well, like the old NES days, you had to blow out of the cartridge and that's, that's like a mouthfeel. I mean, it's, it's true. So one of the things I find interesting is you have a team of agents. You know, stop me if you've heard, if you've heard this one and where it relates to Delta Green. You have a team of agents and there's stuff happening all over the world. So you might choose to send one agent to, you know, Cairo to investigate that. And he flies there. It takes eight hours. He flies there. There's nothing there. You got to recall him. You might send two agents over here. But you can't really hit everything all the time. And if you spread out too thinly, if one agent goes and then they get like ambushed, then you only have one agent to deal with that problem. But if you wait, double... wait, 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 wait! You take eight hours and nothing happens. I understand why you hate this game now. Hey, I mean it's it's in game time. It's in game time, so it, it flies pretty quick. But if you send like three agents to every place, you can't go everywhere. And it, when they when three agents go somewhere and there's nothing happening, you've wasted your time. So it really made me wonder if there's a way to add a mechanic. Like it almost makes you think there'd be a cool scenario somewhere where you're like the the lead case officer and you have a like a pool of agents that are assigned to different mythos things around the area you're trying to kind of put fires out where do you assign them what do you do it could be a cool way to frame a campaign maybe something like that because you can't solve every problem you can only solve some of them where do you put your resources i like that feeling yeah that is cool i like that i like sort of having that um you know it's a sort of dynamic pressure doesn't it to the gameplay god that was a worthless sentence well it really shifts the paradigm there you go 
really promotes synergy. Really activates your almonds. Uh, it it does make you like like I recall a time where I sent one agent somewhere. She got ambushed, almost died. So I started sending two agents everywhere, and then I was, I missed the critical things. And I was like, who can I afford to send alone? Who might get killed, but isn't like trained up or skilled yet? Like, where can I send the fresh meat? <laughs> oh, so it's so it's like <laughs> XCOM where you've got a handful of people you actually care about, and then and, and then uh, yes. it's impossible to recover if any of them ever die. Um. You can, yeah, re- actually, you can recover, yeah. but yeah. It's very much like XCOM. Very much. Or like in Darkest Dungeon, how the optimal strategy to get money is to just constantly cycle level zero losers from the stagecoach and then fire them rather than heal their stress damage. Yeah, yeah. Which really says something about our current society. I mean, it says something about my opinions about the design of both those games. Bottom text. Uh, We're going to crop that boomer meme, I think. Hey. <laughs> What, we're going to crop the it says something about our society in bottom text? Yeah, just bottom text. So there are a couple of things. If people, if people are listening, if our listeners are listening, um, I do want to briefly touch on some of the actual game stuff just because they might look at us as, you know, uh, oh God, well, yeah, inf- influencers. There's the term. We might be influencers in this cat- media influencers. category. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I put the game down after like three, four hours. The RNG kind of got to me. The randomness of it kind of got to me, and I got frustrated. But uh, that's my thought on it. Pick it up on a sale if you're interested. But uh, I think, Will, I think you liked it a little more than I did. Just the actual game. I put it down mainly because I got distracted by other games. Um, I also played it really early in. I also played it really early in the release cycle, so there, there uh, probably have been some updates, and I should go take a look again. Now the game also is kind of at its heart a stealth game, and uh, my biggest complain about any stealth game and there's so many of them is that very many of them are just very binary in terms of you're either stealth and you can you can utilize this suite of stealth mechanics or you've been spotted and you cannot stealth anymore you have to utilize this suite of loud unstealth mechanics and there's only ever a binary choice between the two i do want to say that the only game that seems to have pulled that off pulled the opposite off well is metal gear solid 5 did a really good job with a scale, sliding scale of being seen, but that's no. I I don't podcast. want to say that actually. What I would say is that um, the best example of doing non-binary stealth would be uh, the old Thief games. I mean, those are pretty solid. Splitter Cell actually pulled off pretty well too. Come to think of it, true. Yeah, but those are all old boomer games, you know. Oh, Splitter Cell's not a boomer game. Wait, sure yes, it is. It is. <laughs> okay, well, Splitter Cell may be a boomer game, but Metal Gear Solid Five is a shit game. Boom, take that. It is not. I just wish. That I could have finished it. I wish they could have finished it too. Yeah, uh, Melon, have you ran into anything at least in terms of Delta Green? I will. I don't play any of those games because I think stealth. Games oh my god! But Ballad. um, in Delta Green, typically I try to let players get away with a lot of stuff when they do stealth because otherwise they won't ever do it. Because if you make it, if you make it, um, Delta Green's I think rules is written and and we can look and see if this is correct or not. Delta Green and rules is written says that if you're doing something as a group that the, that's inconvenient for having a group than the lowest guy rolls. And what that effectively means is that stealth is off the table. And this is a problem that Alexandrian talked about in an article quite similar to the one in Rolling to Failure, which is basically um, your stealth mechanic usually in your RPG is either um, it's either the group's lowest roll versus the highest roll of the guys looking at you, or it's literally the whole group has to roll and you take the lowest one, and the other group gets to roll and they take, take, take the highest. And so he said you got to do it differently, and I tend to agree with that. 
And so when it comes to Delta Green, I try to either let people come up with an alternate method and then not have to roll at all, or otherwise make it less about the physical act of sneaking and more about, like, tell me how it is you're getting over the wall or tell me how you're going to socially engineer this guy or whatever. And when it comes to binary stealth outcomes, um, that's an excellent question because I'm trying to think of what good ways to are to believably escalate that situation without um, kind of breaking the fiction. Because one of the things that I said the last time we recorded this is that, like this exact segment, is that uh, Delta Green is a game where it's difficult to do gradations of things because you know, player characters have a small HP pool because it's supposed to take place in a realistic world where one gunshot can kill you. So there's a limit to the amount that you can escalate because even a small amount of, like, going loud is can be instantly fatal. And so what is... I, I, I'm going to flip it back to you guys. What is a believable middle ground between you are instantly detected and you are hidden in the Delta Green system? Uh, I would reach for... Uh, something like Deus Ex, and I was about to say earlier, Melon, I bet you're the kind of guy who plays Deus Ex and just shoots everybody, aren't you? Yes. Give me the Gap Gun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and um, and that's that's my quadrant right there. And uh, it, they got it, they got it exactly right. But I'll say this: um, my favorite play style is to stealthily kill everyone, to be like the Predator, where I can um, be stealthy and so on. But at the end of the day, the map's empty. Because one of the reasons I don't. I don't ever want to be stealthy in a game is that I always am worried that I'm going to get through an area and then the guy is going to come up behind me after I've gotten through. And so I just make sure that can't happen. If I'm being honest, I, that's also my play style, except I do non-lethal. So I'm less predator and more Batman. It's fair it's because you're Canadian, but the non-lethal options in video games are always so boring. Well, in Deus like, Ex, hey, it's, it's just a matter of holding the button or pressing the button. We're going to put 60 weapons in the game and three of them are non-lethal. So have fun with that. Dishonored. Who, who needs weapons? I just hit stuff. Oh, right. You're talking about other deus ex where you have to, like, eat crunch bars to recharge your fucking arms. Yeah, that's stupid. No, I'm it's talking about the one where, in... you got, where you gotta use the you gotta use the prod. Cause... Oh, I didn't bother with that. Once I got I used the bullshit energy sword. Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. The dragon's tooth. Yeah, I don't, I don't go yeah. non-lethal in classic deus ex. No, I, I, I do, I do it's like more the work. deus ex. I haven't played uh, Mankind Divided, but I played the Mankind Divided the is really new good one, like the other new one, and I thought it was all right. And uh, yeah, so Melon, you said you know you're sneaking into the museum and you 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 roll a stealth failure. What do you do? Um, you know, video game logic would would tell you that the alarm sounds, guards rush out, and they gotta shoot all the guards. But I think a way to deal with that is perhaps uh, one more guard is added to the patrol route. So the next, you know, it gets a little harder, but it's, you can keep stealthing. Or perhaps uh, you know you realize that the uh, the lasers you thought were off for maintenance are actually on. So you you really got to s- fail, say, you know, four or five stealth rolls as, with a little more gets harder every time until you're actually like fully loud on stealth. So you give players a chance to maybe try to oh another guard was added. All right, let's send in the the face and try to get that guard. You know, talk him talk him out of the area or whatever. So I would make it like more of a soft fail than a, a hard fail game state change but that does require a lot of work on the handler and ideally some pre-planning of what all that's going to look like so it will be kind of tough to do on the fly and how do you involve the whole group in a stealth mission because the other problem is that um obviously with a stealth maneuver 
like I, I I talked about like how oh you know it's mechanically bad to make um everyone roll or whatever everyone just should just be one guy, but really yeah like you don't want to send the whole the whole squad in to you know infiltrate or whatever. So what do the other players get to do while the one guy is playing the game? How do we make the whole thing the whole experience entertaining rather than just it be like the Decker and Shadowrun? I have a thought on that, and I'm gonna do something really surprising. I'm gonna reach for Pathfinder. So there's Pathfinder a, there's is a... one of the games that I really don't like because of the way it handles this mechanic. So I I feel the same. Um, so there is a teamwork well, I don't like feat it for a totally different reason. called uh, Stealth Synergy. The way teamwork feats work is uh, you get some sort of a synergy bonus with you and your other party members who also have the feat. What Stealth Synergy does is uh, when you're being sneaky, everybody every other of your teammates who is also being sneaky, they you guys all roll. And then whoever gets the highest die roll, you all take that result and then add your modifier to it. So, like, if you, me, if the three of us are being sneaky, we all got the stealth synergy feat. I roll a 2, Melon rolls a 12, Kevin rolls an 18. We all take Kevin's 18 and then add our individual modifiers. So, my modifier, you, you get the idea. To bring that well, back no, to Delta I'm Green. I'm still rocking, rocking zero decks and, like, a neg 6 armor check penalty at, at best. So, yeah, but, I think I'm still going to fuck it up. Yeah, but... It minimizes how much a single player uh, can fuck it up, which I like. So what I would do for Delta Green is I would say if you got the whole team is being sneaky, if they're on, they got some sort of comms thing going, and they're all working together, spotting for each other, uh, calling out where the position of guards and such. If they got somebody who's got a map who's giving out directions to them, then you don't take the lowest stealth rating on the group; you take the highest. Yeah, I, I like that. That also answers the question of what other people do. You know, you give one player gets a map, and he gets to move the move the the icons around or the minis around or whatever to know where the teams are at. You know, if uh, again, say you did roll a failure, another guard's added to the pool. One of the players could be like, "All right, I'm gonna, uh, you know, I'm gonna go outside and kick the trash can over and act like a vagrant and get this guard out of here." So I'll I'll go do that. You know, well, you guys keep going or whatever. To circle back to your earlier question, Millen, what do you do when you're being sneaky and somebody fails? Uh, what I would do. Uh, to, to give a slightly different answer from Kevin's approach is I would change up the behavior of the pe- of uh, whoever it is the agents are trying to sneak past. So say they're trying to sneak into a military base. Well, the sentries who were just, just doing their jobs before, just kind of hanging out, they heard something, they know something's up. So they don't know, you're, they don't know that you're there. They don't know that anybody is there, but they are now alert. They're going to be paying a little more attention. They're going to be a little more likely, likely to respond to strange noises or question people they haven't seen before. You can still talk your way past that or stealth your way past that, but it's a little added extra layer of complication. You're not totally blown. You can still do it. Just a bit of an obstacle. Yeah, I think the only downside, and I think this is, I think this is minor, I think this is almost intended, is that every if it gets harder every time you roll a failure, then you're not like you're going to be prone to more failures. But I think that's also partially by, partially by design, so that's okay. That's a fair point, actually. So what I might do to change that is the first time... Uh, it gets a little bit harder. And then once you have dealt with that obstacle, you know, once you have encountered the sentries and bluffed your way past them, or once you've found a good hiding spot and waited for the guy to finish his rounds and go back to his post, then think everything resets. So then you're back to the original condition because they were alert, they went to look, they found nothing. Must have been the wind. I almost wonder if there's a way, let's stay on the infiltrating military base thing. Say, you know, you're going to cut through the fence and you you, you make a... You fail your roll and you snap the wire cutters together really loudly. The guard like gets alert. Um, in order to make it so that it's not, you know, more difficult, 
you if you send your if you send your face in to talk to the guy and he says like oh you know we're just we're just doing the routine maintenance just like you know general order 47 says you know you didn't get the memo you didn't get the sf-43 from commander jenkins i i told him to send it over you know fucking jenkins so if that role goes well which wouldn't necessarily be probably wouldn't make that role any harder than perhaps the stealthing the next time they hear a noise, they're going to be like, yeah, we know those guys are out there. They're doing stuff. We've already been through this. So you can almost make it easier. But at the same time, I I tend to want to build a crescendo of failures together into a, t- a tension moment where like stuff has to happen. So I think it's okay if it gets harder if you fail. Oh, yeah. I think it's okay if, you get, if it gets harder. I just want to, as you, I think, as was pointed out, I just want to avoid the roll to failure problem. You know, rolling dice to see whether or not you're going to be able to pass the next die roll. That doesn't sound very interesting to me. But, I mean, I'm certainly not opposed to making things a little bit more difficult, as long as there is a way to bring things back down through clever planning. The other thing I would do is if a player, an agent's in a situation where they're about to be detected, like, say, they fail their role and the guards are right around the corner, give them the choice, right? You can either finish trying to download the data off of that that hard drive and be detected, or he hasn't come in yet, you can slip out the back not be detected, but not get what you're after. That one is really important to me, because there's lots of games out there that make it about, like, you shouldn't fight all the time. You should try and run away or hide or some shit. And then running away or hiding or whatever depends on a successful mechanical interaction. So it suddenly, well, I can either fight or run, and I'm rolling dice either way. If I'm rolling dice and fighting, at least I'm hitting the fucking guy. If I I have to roll dice to run away and I still fail, I'm, you know... I get tore up, and there's nothing I can do about it. So you want to reward the kind of behavior that you want to see, and I have to agree that if the player wants to bail out of the bad situation rather than continue with an obviously flawed plan, then I understand that in Delta Green there's like a value to you committed to this horrible thing and now you have to face the consequences because that's supposed to be what the game's about. But on the other side of the coin, it's a game where um, if you don't disengage, you can rapidly just get just get mulched. Like, you can get get drawn into a firefight you have no control over and then killed instantly. And, like, I've seen that I've seen that happen with, with basically, player characters that got roped in the mandatory firefights, either because of something else that, something that someone else did or because they failed a different role and then were killed instantly through no control of their own. And so that's, that, that happens. That's part of the Delta Green life. But, um, I guess I'm running, I guess I run Delta Green kind of from, like, an OSR type philosophy, which is, um, you don't just you're not supposed to just randomly whack people. There's, it's like being in the, it's like being a mafia guy. You don't whack people randomly. You just, you send a message. You do it because they did something wrong, or because there's got to be consequences for their actions. So let me ask this, uh, and a question that I have no answer to. We talk a lot about how to run stealth here, or how to run games, how to be a better handler. What can you do as a player to make your stealthing better, or to make your group stealthing better, or to engage in stealthy activities better? Yeah, that's a good one. Know ahead of time how the GM's going to be handling it. Because I've had this happen where um, we've had like a... Uh, this is a different game. This is also Pathfinder. Where we're, we're like doing a plan or whatever. And we're like, oh, we're going to disguise ourselves and sneak inside. And then I'm like, guys, I got negative, like, negative three to bluff. I don't think we should do this. And the guy's like, it's fine because I'll roll disguise. And because I'm the one doing the disguising, I'm really good at it. So we'll... it'll I'll just do it for all of us. And I was like, okay, if you... If, if you're going to gonna tell me that that's fine so we get inside and i immediately get surrounded by like three npcs interrogating me like just asking me questions about stuff and i have to roll bluff until i fail 
And so my presence alone in that fucked everything up. And so if I had known how the handler was going to handle it, I could have said, why don't I sit this one out and like jump out and start axing people when the time comes. But because I didn't know the GM, I got fucked. Where not only did I get fucked, but I ruined things for everybody. So I guess the advice there to players would be clarify with the GM how interactions are going to be resolved. Well, my, my Present actual, a plan and then it, say, hey, GM, is this how things are actually going to work? My actual advice would be, um, yeah, that that's that's really, like, because I understand that not not everyone who runs the game is like that, but I have, a, I have a lot of respect for people's need to understand how stuff will work mechanically before they do it, because if you misunderstand that, it can be lethal. Like, if I don't understand that whether I need to roll demolitions or athletics to throw a grenade or, like, throw a pipe bomb or whatever, then that can be the difference between me succeeding and me killing everyone and myself. I mean, we just talked about, like, are we going to use the highest stealth roll in the group or the lowest? So knowing that going in is going to change the approach dramatically. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not saying the player is entitled to know everything that exists in the game world, like all the hazards they're going to face, but they are entitled to know how the GM will be handling stealth. They're entitled to know how the rules will be used, if not what the rules will be used on. That's my that's my feeling. But again, that's not helpful advice for a player because I can tell a player that they're entitled to this thing, but them believing that doesn't help them if the if the other guy doesn't agree. So I'm trying to think of what I can tell someone that'll be useful in any situation. So something I think you can do as a player is if you if you are the if you're not the stealthiest person in the group, look at where your strengths do lie and try to suggest things or to come, try to come up with things where your strengths will be useful. So if you're the best computer scientist, say, hey, can I can I get into the building security system? Can I can I hack the cameras? Right, Will? Can I? Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Can I? Can, can I? Cut can the I get into city remotely. hall and get some blueprints of the building? And yeah. if I do that, can can we get a bonus to our stealth rolls because I have this knowledge? You know, if you're the best, uh, if you're the best face, hey, can I go in there and social engineer some some stuff, or maybe try to grab somebody's key card or whatever? Figure out what you're good at and try to use that to kind of preload some bonuses onto the rest of your team. Aside, but I had an eclipse face character who was sort of. The idea was he was built around doing that. Like he was, he was a meme man. He was an infomorph, so he only existed on computer servers. And what he would do is, while everybody else was being bags of meat in matter space, he would be, he'd be running like the command and control. Right? He'd have the tack net up. He'd be, you know, calling out uh, positions of, you know, points of interest, and, and you know, go take cover behind. So he, in combat, he would spend his actions basically assisting everybody. It never actually got to do that for some reason because just the couple of games I played with, with that character that just didn't happen. Did he, did he ever say help on my computer? Um, stop all the downloading. Now oh, we're, now we're really into boomer memes. Yeah. <laughs> God damn that. That smell good. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a series of tubes. If you remember the GI Joe PSA meme, you're a boomer. God damn it. Fuck. So, uh, I will, um, did you read the Alexandrian article about why the Eclipse Phase Infomorph character included in all of the uh, um, the con games never works? I did not. Is it because people don't know how to use them? It's because the GM usually doesn't let hacking do any any kind of shit. Yeah. But also because people don't know how to use them. But I mean, I mean, to be fair, telling someone you don't know how to use this thing when the is not very helpful. Useless, yeah. Yeah. Like, but I, but I see what you're getting with that. And but it's funny though that you're saying like you're, you bet your guy was basically like a hard support. That's kind of a cool, because um, that, that's something that I wonder about in Delta Green. Like, would you let someone on a headset with military science looking at the battlefield from like a drone or overhead or whatever give other people bonuses to fighting? 
Uh, yeah, not maybe not large ones, but I would certainly I would try and find a way to let them contribute. One thing I would really like is for someone to do like look at the the area through like a a aerial thing or through binoculars or whatever and call out like targets to a guy with a GP or a mortar or whatever. That'd be pretty cool because that's like a realistic use of that type type of coordination where one guy spots and gives coordinates. Yeah, I mean, I'll say that again. This is more into how to handle things, but that's that's how we roll. Uh, I will incentivize heavily teamwork, and if you can dazzle me with an awesome plan, uh, I may not even make you roll for it. If it's like so cool, so interesting, I may let you get started without a roll because it's it's awesome. So teamwork makes the dream work. Uh, and I will incentivize that till I die. By the same token, lone wolves will, I will have no problem, mer- you know, mulching a lone wolf who has left his team behind to go rock his awesome firearms and be the badass. Sorry, buddy. How do we... Don't ever leave your wingman. Give this to, to player advice, because I'm still struggling with, with how with what I would tell the player. Well, I guess, and here's another question I don't have an answer to, so I'll, why not? You know, h- how do you make this better for your team if you're the person with the best stealth? Is there anything, anything you can do aside from, say, I have the best stealth, but let me stealth this? What are some other options? Listen, so if you have any options, tweet 9mm retirement and, yeah. and let us know I mean, what you I think. Just say, I just say this. There's a reason why I run games more than I play them. Yeah, I think that's fair for all of us. Well, is it? Nah, I definitely handle more than I run. What, so like once in a blue fucking moon for both? Wow. My, my glass house is already smashed. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> no, um, I, I do I do appreciate, though, that we're very GM-focused, and so I'm trying to come up with, like, what can a player do to to make to make it work? But it really, it just feels like it depends very heavily on, like, other than, like, make the argument for this is the way it's supposed to work, which, like, I don't know that that's really helpful to tell people to do that, because if the guy's open to suggestions, then great, but if the guy has a way he's going to do things, then you're just that one guy arguing with the GM and no one wants to be that person. Even if they're even because even if you're right, it doesn't help. It just makes you look like an idiot. So, I mean, we, we have given two pieces of advice and maybe that's all we can give right now. And I truly do hope our listeners send us their advice on how they've handled this in the past. Cause I don't know. So one thing we said was be a, or ask your handler how they're going to handle the mechanics. Is the high stealth going to roll it at low stealth? Can we do other actions for bonuses? You know, this kind of stuff. You're, you're not asking for, you're not trying to cheat. You're not saying, if I fail, will that guard see me? You're saying, how are we going to make this mechanically work? That's, that's fair. Um, and honestly, if your handler won't answer that, I would pack my shit up and find another table. Because um, that's not something the handler should ever obfuscate. Um, and the other thing I've, that we've, other advice, and the other advice we've given is, you know, if you're not the stealthiest, then find out what you're good at and try to support. Um, I've given a couple of good examples of that. So, I think we have given some player-facing advice. I think that's okay. Sometimes as a handler, my players will come up with a plan, tell me what's going on. I'll think I understand it, and then when shit hits the fan, uh, I've obviously misunderstood their plan, or they misunderstood a critical piece of the puzzle. So in the planning phase as a player, really concisely, because there's always a million plans thrown around, we're going to go in through the window. No, no, you're going to go in through the basement and then open the window. No, you're going to hit the window with a dart first, whatever. So... Present your handler with a pretty concise, here's our final plan. Here are the nested if statements that will happen in this plan. Because if you give me those ahead of time, then I won't punish you for it. But if in the heat of the moment you say, you know, if I say the guard is about to turn the corner, what do you do? You say, well, if he has a gun, I shoot him. If he's got a baton, I duck. If he's got a flashlight, I turn myself invisible. No, you can't do all those things. Pick one thing. 
give your handler a concise, clear, detailed plan if you if that's what you want, and then make sure that they understand it. That way, when it works, it looks great, and when it all falls to shit, it's uh, your it's your fault, not the handler or you misunderstanding some of the core ground truths. I mean, at least I think that's good advice. But no, that's yeah, well said. I, I can't think of anything to add to that. But so here's here's how it works. When I'm the handler, I'm thinking. Yeah, please summarize all that because you've been talking for 10 minutes and I haven't been following the intricacy of the conversation. And then the part that frustrates me is that they then summarize it and then one of them or mo- one or more of them b- believes that the summary is not what they actually discussed. And then they go back to discussing because they didn't actually decide on what they thought they decided on. And so the resolution yes. of the action gets bid back like another 10 minutes. So, so I guess the I'm advice a, to players present there a would clear, be... clear, concise if, plan. When I'm, a, when I'm a player though, Delta Green is a game with extreme consequences for failure. It's a game where if you fuck up, you can die instantly. And therefore, that is why people plan... We've talked about this before. This is, that is why people plan obsessively in this game. Because they are living in a world where surveillance is omnipresent, where pretty much any NPC has the potential power to kill them instantly, and where oftentimes they are going into a situation where the rules of normal reality do not apply. So let me give an example that might help stop uh, the, the, the replanning of things. Um, this kind of stems from what, what I've seen happen before, is that I explain something, the players come up with a plan, and then they either they haven't got what I was putting down in terms of like a, a building, or you know they say we're going to scale the wall, and I'm like, well, I said the wall was covered in spikes. No, you didn't. Ah, crap. Well, maybe I didn't, but it is whatever. So if you're the player... I'll go back to say seeking the seeking the military base. You can say, all right, here's our plan. The four of us are gonna. This guy's gonna be Overwatch. We're gonna sneak into the base. We're gonna now. Now, as we understand it, you said there was from our surveillance earlier. There was just a single chain link fence, right? And the handle will go, yeah. Or no, you idiots. Here's the real fact. Yeah, single chain link fence. All right, we're gonna cut through that with our bolt cutters. You know, Joe's gonna keep a lookout. Then we're gonna get through the whatever. So kind of any of the ideas where there could be a place where you could get mucked up on facts just bounce them off the handle this is what you said we understood it to be this is that and correct and i think i think yes. it's important i i have i'm kind of bad about this cuz i'll let i'll let players like misconstrue misconstrue things if i feel like it's them interpreting information correctly but if it's if it's but if it's like just a detail about the world like they think that the house is green when actually it's blue and that's something that their character can see right in front of them that's on me to tell them that when they're make, making the plan and that's going to make them less like overly cautious because if they have the information they feel like they need then they will be more willing to go forward and if they realize halfway through that their shit is fucked because they they miss they misheard one of something that i said they're going to go back to the drawing board and start the whole process over i had a a, a scenario where uh, the players had to infiltrate a house and i have said it in kind of a suburban neighborhood and i said that but when they got there I could tell they were assuming that this was like a desolate street, whereas I, where I know I meant it to be like a suburban, busy neighborhood. So I could tell because they weren't taking any precautions in terms of like, they're like, oh, we'll park out front, we'll run in, we'll do whatever you do, we'll run out the front. You know, so I, as a handler, more handler advice, but as a handler, you got to kind of listen and see, are they planning around a truth they think is true that you just need to give them? Like, hey, guys, this is a suburban neighborhood. There's people walking the dogs everywhere. A car parked up front's going to... Cause it to draw attention. You guys realize that, right? Oh, no, we, we know that. We still want to do it. Okay, that's the plan. So it, that's just getting to kind of hear the players, listen to the planning meetings and see what they're... Just make sure that they don't have any bad intel. And I guess as a player, make sure that you confirm anything that's going to get you killed or try to. 
I mean, I got, got kind of high level there for a minute, but I'm trying to think of how you how you um, kind of split the difference between a game that has really really severe consequences for failing and wanting it so that you can actually play the game instead of spending the entire session thinking about what the characters want to do. And I understand that people are going to say, um, oh, you know, attach like put put them on a clock or whatever, but I don't feel like that resolves the uh, the central tension between being care being like careful to a degree that is justified by the setting versus everything taking too goddamn long. Yeah, it's a pretty fine line. I mean, I tend to think that a bunch of players planning and discussing and getting into good niche arguments is is good gameplay, but it can certainly very quickly turn into a quagmire that will never you'll never leave from. So, well, well, so, so you my, have to kind my, of manage find, that. My finding is what it is, is that if you got five people, two or three of them really enjoy that, and then two of them are like waiting for them to finish, basically. I can see that, yeah. So, and then, and really then in, the absolute, in, the, in the absolute worst case scenario, two of them think the planning is really boring, but then hate what the other three come up with as the end result, <laughs> setting the whole process back all over again. I think at that point, that's the time where you could say, well, you're, you're out of time, what's the plan? But then you get into a situation where, um, talking about that hospital again, there were there were spaces there where we'd been, we'd been talking for a while. But if the guy had said, "No, I'm putting, I'm bringing the hammer down. What's your plan?" We just didn't. We still would, we wouldn't have had an answer for him because, given the information we had, we didn't even know what we were supposed to be doing, so we couldn't make a plan. Yeah, I can see. I definitely can see that. Like I said, that's a and fine think, line that that gets into think, like game design and or scenario design. I think design one as well. one one thing that can help is. You might want if if people are doing are having this problem, you can say to them, uh, you'd be like, okay, what information would you need to make this decision? And it's either something that they that that you're willing to tell them because their characters would know it, or it's information they already have but they've forgotten it. It can be that. It can be information that they don't have but they could get in character. Like if you need to know what the house looks like, you can ask the FBI surveillance team that's been watching it for the past six months. Or it's really smart. It could be some. Or it could be something that they just don't know. There's going to be stuff in the game where you're making decisions based on uh, something that's completely unknown. So there's a taxonomy of, you know, when you ask them what information is necessary for you to make the decision, there's different ways it can go. Because sometimes they have they have identified like a central point of the mystery that the answer to which is what they're trying to get by this whole plan in the first place. Yeah, I actually really like that. That's uh, That may be the nugget we were looking for. Because that could lead to clarifying miscommunications. That can lead to a new role. That can lead to the computer scientist who hates stealth and would sit in the back being like, this is dumb. I can't stealth. Why am I planning this? Going, wait a second. I can hack the cameras. I can get into the surveillance system. I am useful now. I'm getting excited again. So so it's like, let your players cross talk for five minutes and then say, all right, what do you guys need to, to make a plan? This is um, something that I wonder about now. I wonder if plans actually get worse the more players there are. Because if there's two guys, because think about, okay, everyone wants to do the thing their character is good at. They want to be useful. So once you get beyond like three or four, like two or three people, you get three, four, five, six, people are thinking, what can I do here? Like, what can my character do here? And so you come up with a plan that's trying to incorporate everyone's skills and doesn't work for two reasons. First of all, because you've moved beyond, well, here's what's necessary to do into here's what we brought to the table. And... Now you've got you've come up with a plan that might potentially, and this is this is like you know a style thing, so, the, so they meant this might not be actually how it works. But now you've got a plan that re- that requires five or six die rolls to go correctly, 
and you can sort of mitigate that second part by the handler saying, you know, if, if you have a, a good idea here and you have the time to prepare, I'm not going to make you roll for it. So like the computer science guy can just do the computer science and, you know, the, the guy can cut the power cable without having to roll to climb the fucking light pole or roll the skies to wear an orange vest or whatever. That's fine. But I still think that like a plan with that two player characters put together or three player characters put together is in my just recollection, just intuitively, and I might just be wrong here, is usually better though. Because it's very focused on here's what we need done, and I'm not. There's no need for anyone to try and insert themselves in the situation because everyone is already essential. Yeah, it'd be an interesting thing to look at real data on, but I don't know how you would collect that data. Well, it's it's completely anecdotal, like everything we do on this show. <laughs>